You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. It is so nerve-wracking when you're trying to put all the pieces together, especially on this big deal. Uh, I think we end up making over $96,000, a little, little under $100,000 on this one wholesale deal. So it wasn't the most challenging deal, but the nerves that you you have just thinking, leading up to that closing, I'm like, I hope, I pray that this works out because I don't know. And I just remember that deal just because it was the most profitable and it was one of the most nerve wracking deals because I didn't have a lot of control. I didn't know the buyer. This wasn't really my typical deal. A lot of money on the table. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be embarrassed. All those feelings kind of were in play. <laughs> the We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Hello, we love equity family. How are you today? I am glad that I'm here today with a special guest. Our guest today is Brett Snotgrass from Indianapolis, Indiana. Me and Brett kind of bumped into each other because we're both huge contributors with Bigger Pockets. I know he's wrote, written quite a few articles on wholesaling with Bigger Pockets. I've done over 100 articles with Bigger Pockets. So we thought that we would just kind of get together and collab and bring this thing home right here on the We Love Equity Show. We want to make sure that you guys are getting exactly what you need here on the show. And that's why I always like to bring quality investors to your listening ears and for your viewing pleasure here on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all of the social sites. So Brett Snotgrass, if you don't know who he is, Brett is based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. He started as a one-man show and now he's doing hundreds of deals per year. Yes, I said that per year. So he has a team, he's wholesaling, they're doing creative financing, and they're really just making a difference in the city of Indianapolis and in other markets. So Brett, man, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So much uh, for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Always enjoyed reading your articles on Bigger Pockets, and uh, like like you said, I we're like the two wholesaling guys on Bigger Pockets to write articles. So it's good to meet you, man. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, likewise, man. We're gonna have to do this in person because I'm not too far from Indianapolis when I'm in Chicago. But now being here in Phoenix, it's a little bit 
of a ways away. <laughs> yeah, so. you go to Phoenix in the winters and Chicago. Yeah, and it's, it's cold yep. in Chicago right now. <laughs> yep, got it. You got it. <laughs> so, Brett, man, introduce us. I know I did. I know I did an introduction, but what did I miss, man? Who uh, welcome the people to Brett Snotgrass and his world and what he's doing? Yeah, no problem, Marcus. So, like I said, I'm Brett Snodgrass. If you don't know me, I run a company in Indianapolis, Indiana. We call ourselves Simple Wholesaling. I kind of came up with that five, six years ago. I wanted to do a simple business, which I'd done a lot of different things in real estate. I've been in real estate for 13 years. So I got back into it in around 07. And when the market was, was crashing, going down, and I didn't know at that time, but that's when I got into real estate. And uh, done a lot of different things since then. I started off wholesaling and I did a lot of bank owned properties at that time through the MLS, through multiple offers a month. And then the market kind of came back. So we started doing creative things. I started retail flipping homes. So I fixed and flipped homes for about three years with me and my dad. And that was, that was interesting. It was a, definitely a job and a lot of work and managing contractors. I did that for, for a while. But then back in 2014, I realized, like, I just want to do something simple. And that's when the simple wholesaling kind of came about. And that's when I started scaling a team and, and built what we are today. So six years later, last year, we did about 303 deals in 2019. And this is obviously coming into, I think this show is coming out in 2021. So 2020, which is obviously a very, really interesting year. Didn't know what was going to happen, yeah. but we were doing, I think we're going to end up around 275 deals, something like that for 2020. So things are looking really good. We don't, we don't have a huge team. We have about six local people. So if people think that I have a 20, 25 person team, it's not it. We have about six local people that work for us. And then we also have six virtual assistants that work for us out of the Philippines. So okay. 12 people overall and uh, half on in the States, half not. So okay. that's pretty much our team. And we do a few hundred deals a year and a couple million dollars uh, business. And it's pretty fun. All right. So we're, we're going to get to the team aspect because I want to dig in to there. But before we go down that road, how did you start with that first deal and now you scaled it to 300 deals a year. So tell us about, I know we're going back to 2007. It's a long time ago, but tell us about <laughs> that first deal. Tell us about some of the heart racing fears that you went through trying to complete that first deal, because we have a lot of people that listen and that's where they're at. They're at what do I need to do to accomplish getting that first check? So, and some of them, they, they're at that, at the precipice where they're right there and ready to cross over and close that first deal, but something inside of them, that fear takes over. So what did you do, Brett, to really get that first deal? Yeah. Like I said, it was 13 years ago. So I always had to take myself back exactly what I was doing, but I, I think everybody remembers their very first deal. They remember where they, they were at. They remember what they were doing, how they felt. And uh, for me, I was a substitute school teacher. So I did not come from money. My parents were both uh, teachers. My dad was a high school basketball coach. So I'm not one that my parents taught me how to run a business or an entrepreneur. They were teachers, right? My dad made between 40 and $60,000 a year his entire life. And 
and that was great. We were middle-class yep. America and they didn't teach me that. So I was a teacher. I was a substitute school teacher, got an elementary education degree. So I didn't know much about business. And this was in 2007. I was about 20, 27 years old and started just reading some books, meeting some entrepreneurs, meeting some some other investors. And I realized, honestly, I was driving around with this multimillionaire real estate investor and that was when the light bulb kind of went off because number one, I was thinking this guy is not that smart, honestly. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, he, he runs a multi-million dollar business, but he, I, I think that I could do that because he wasn't that smart. The other thing I noticed was he really wasn't that nice and I was a pretty nice guy. So I was like, man, like he's not a nice guy. He's not that smart, but he runs this amazing business. And I, I that's when I realized I think I could do this. So that's when I got the confidence. And then that very first deal, this is probably about six, seven, eight months later, I was just looking on the internet one night and I was reading these real estate books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Millionaire Next Door, some of these other real estate books. And uh, I found this house in Youngstown, Ohio for $9,000. And uh, that's when I, and I, and I didn't know anything about real estate. I said, how can you buy a house for $9,000? It's just, that's ridiculously yeah. crazy. Like you can't do that, but it was true. And at that time, Every, everything was crazy cheap. And I bought that house for $9,000. I got it on a contract. And then three weeks later, we assigned it, sold that house for $15,000. And I made $6,000. That was my very first deal. And I remember there's just the nervousness of it. I remember I was at B-dubs and I had, had a beer in my hand and I, I was getting ready to close this deal. And I just couldn't believe I was going to make $6,000 because I was a substitute cool teacher which $6,000 was like four months. Four so. months. <laughs> so it was crazy. And that's just when the light bulb went off for me. And that's when I got the confidence. And I said, if I did this with one, could I do it with two? Could I do it with 10 or, or 100? And then 13 years later, I think we've done a few thousand, I think. And But you never forget that first one. I don't remember yep. a lot of them in the middle. Never forget the first one. <laughs> so you jumped out there and you went, because you were living in Indianapolis, correct? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So you jumped out and you went from Indy to Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. What, yeah. what gave you the gall to say, I'm going to do this in Youngstown because I'm in Indianapolis. Yeah. Youngstown yeah. and Indianapolis is not they real close to right each other, now. but, but not six, real far. Yeah, six, seven hour one-way drive. Honestly, I was I was always just trying to start businesses at that time on eBay, honestly. And I would buy and sell a lot of things on eBay. That's when eBay was really popular. Yep. And and they had a real estate section. And I started looking on that section and they didn't have a lot of houses. But uh, that, that's where I saw this house in Youngstown, Ohio on, on eBay. And that's just, wow. you know, that's where I hung out on eBay all the time. And so- it wasn't like I was looking on the MLS. I was looking at other other things. It was really just, that's where I hung out and I bought the house off of eBay. <laughs> so that lets you guys know that you can always take non-traditional approaches to find deals. So you, we went all the way back to eBay and you found yeah. a deal on eBay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy. I don't, I haven't been on eBay in, in years, but that was the very first deal. And, and then I realized we just started connecting the dots and- I really just learned off of experience. Just I, I learned, okay, if I did this with one deal, a second deal, and 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 then I realized, hey, why don't I try to this in Indianapolis, my backyard? And I said, maybe if it, it'll work here, and it did. So, and at that time, we were doing a lot of MLS offers, REO, and it was a different time. And we think we're going to jump into marketing strategies, but mm -hmm. uh, that was the season back then. 
it was just, hey, there's a bunch of REO properties. Let's put in a bunch of offers and let's get some cheap, cheap deals and sell them for 5,000 over what we bought them for. And that was our strategy. Very simple, simple okay. model. And that's the game plan. And guys, you have to be aware that what one strategy works at one time, maybe in six or seven or eight months, that same strategy may not work. And that's kind of where I started too, was just putting MLS offers with a very aggressive agent. And we just kept going like that until, hey, you look on the MLS, you can't find anything because- <laughs> Like today. That's, yeah, yeah. Like today, <laughs> it's over with. So yeah. you have to be creative and you have to do creative marketing strategies. So with that being said, Brett, what are some of the marketing strategies that you had to pivot to during then when you couldn't find those deals on the MLS? And what are you doing as far as marketing now? Yeah. So kind of fast forward, I, I did the MLS offers for three, four years, did other markets too. I would fly down to Florida. We started doing Florida too during 2010 and, and 11. That was a great market. Same strategy. And then it stopped working, like you said, Marcus. So I had to realize, well, what are we going to do now? The strategy isn't working anymore. So that's when I started flipping houses and fixing them up and flipping them. And and I didn't know what I was doing there either, but I learned a lot yep. of experience, learned how to manage contractors, learned how to estimate rehab and how much it actually does cost. Because I was the guy that was, every house cost you know $15,000 to fix it up. Yep. No idea. <laughs> well, I realized that that's not true. Uh, it costs a lot more than that. But learned a lot through that experience, did that for three years. And then in 2014, that's when I said, hey, I want to get back into wholesaling, but I couldn't do it like I used to do it. So what do I do? So that's when I got into Bigger Pockets, honestly. And if you want to check out, I was a contributor on Bigger Pockets. I was on the Bigger Pockets uh, for the blogs. I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I think it was episode 231. If you want to check out the Bigger Pockets yep. podcast, I was a guest on there. But that's when I started reading about, uh, I was just trying to study how, how do you actually do this business? I was just like everybody else. I've been doing this business for a while, but I didn't know how to do it in this market. So that's when I started learning about direct mail, sending out postcards. And I thought that was the most like crazy idea. It's never going to work. It's super silly. But I said, hey, let's just give it a shot. So I hired a guy. That's when I had a friend and he needed a job. That was my uh -huh. very first employee. And I said, hey, I heard about these letters and the people would write these yellow letters. And uh, do you want to do that for me? I'll give you 25 cents a letter. And, and that, was, that was my first employee. So he said, sure, let's do it. So we started doing that. And I spent, I think, $1,000 on letters and I got a deal. And I made a I think eight or $9,000 on that deal. And again, it goes back to that very first deal. If I could do it with one, could I do it with a hundred? This was like, okay, I put in a thousand dollars. I made $8,000. Yep. Okay. What if I put in another one? Like I was uh, Jack blackjack. And so that's just started happening. And then some other people started coming into my life and they wanted jobs too. And some of them, like one of them was my buyer. He bought a couple of rental properties from me. And he hated his job. He was in sales and worked for this truck shipping company and made like $50,000 a year. And, and he hated his job, but I knew he was a good sales guy. So I said, well, I don't really like talking to sellers and, and I hate going to appointments. Do you want to do that? And that was my second employee. <laughs> there you go. And, and, and what, Brett? 
And that's how it happens. It starts to happen organically. Guys, listen, as you start to get out there and you start doing things, the right people start to come into your life. You start to get connected with the right people and you just have to make sure that you have the right perspective and you have your eyes open and don't limit yourself and say, well, how am I going to hire this person? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? You guys are, you're bootstrapping. So you got to learn along the way. And that's what you did, Brett. You started saying, this is what I want to do. I'm going to learn along the way. You started out with the direct mail and you said, hey, I heard about these letters. Let me just start putting these letters out there and see what happened. Let me invest a thousand dollars and see what happens. And you had a sevenfold return off of that thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how it happens for me. Now, these are the success stories that I've told you about. I mean, there was many, many, many failures uh, along the way that I had to really, really push through. I mean, there was actually a time um, that I was flipping houses that I was juggling about six flips at one time, just got married. We were pregnant with our kid. I had a contractor suing me. I had another contractor rip off some money from me. And I wasn't making that much money, honestly. And I was super stressed out. So like I had to push through all that to get to some of these successes. So if I sit here and you think that everything I do have done has always worked, it, it has not. Well, um, and, and that's one of the things that I like about you, Brett. And most of the investors that I talk to on here is we want to know not only the successes, but the failures and how you overcome those failures. Because again, a lot of people paint the rosy picture. You start with nothing and then boom, you're a multimillionaire, but they don't understand the peaks and the valleys and the ebbs and the flows that you have to go through in order to get to where you want to be. And it takes persistence, absolute persistence and tenacity in order to get there. Because like you said, you started with this one deal where you made $6,000 and then I'm sure you had some ups and some downs. You had some months where you're like, okay, I got to yeah. make a deal. I got to get out here and find something. So how yeah. did you balance that psychologically and still be motivated enough to keep going and just not say, but this doesn't work. I'm going to go back to teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's just, it's all about pivoting. I think this is just a business that you have to constantly be on your game and you constantly have to pivot when the market changes or your team changes or you change yep. and you, you're going through some certain season of your life. I think that just all those factors kind of help you. And for me, I was just always one that I would pivot and I would take a lot of risks. So I would spend that thousand dollars and just to see what happens. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I would hire that guy for $50,000 a year that I've never paid anybody that ever in my life. Yep. And for me at that time, I was like, that's a lot of money to pay somebody. I have no idea this is going to work, but I was always like, well, Let's just try it and try it for six months. And if it doesn't work, then I, I can always go backwards and, and he doesn't work out. So I was always just had that uh, personality. So since then, as far as the marketing strategies go, just to kind of answer your question. So yeah. we started yeah. off doing direct mail. That's been our one of our key marketing strategies for the last six years. And then we just started trying other marketing strategies as well. Today, it's direct mail. We do Google AdWords. So we have a pay-per-click company that we spend about $3,500 a month. So very easy strategy. I put the money in and they get leads popping out. Um, we so let me ask you something real quick, Brett. Because a lot of people, they say now, 
direct mail is dead. What's your take on that? It definitely has changed. I mean, I could not put in a thousand dollars today and make an eight or nine back right now. That would be awesome. But I was a lot smaller at that time too. And I could really just pinpoint the list and what we were doing. I don't think direct mail is dead. I think that you have to be more on your game with it and you have to be uh, a little bit, get into the niches of it and you got to get a a pretty good list. You really got to focus on that and your piece of mail that you're also sending. I don't think you can just blanket and send out a bunch of mail and you're going to make a bunch of money. I think you have to be more strategic about it. But I think it's a strategy that goes along with other strategies for us. So what our strategy right now is we do direct mail, we do PPC. We just started doing a a TV commercial actually last year, which has done really, really well for us. And people think TV, wow, that's crazy expensive. Honestly, we spend more on on direct mail. So it's Mm -hmm. not a channel that it can be really expensive, but it's not like the old days. So it can be a great channel and it helps all the other channels. So if you see me on TV and then you look down and you see my postcard sitting on your table, you're probably more apt to yep. call me up because you've seen me before. Let yeah. me ask you this, Brett, because I'm going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts about marketing. So <clears throat> for those that's getting started and they say, okay, I want to start with direct mail. I got 1500 bucks or a thousand bucks. I'm going to try and deploy a direct mail campaign. Where are they going to find that list? And what is that letter saying in order to get the phone to ring? Yeah. I mean, this probably isn't even my area of expertise, honestly. Okay. So for me personally, I yeah, go- Yeah, you're the man. You just hire this stuff out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for me personally, I mean, I would go- if I only have $1,500, I would try to get, I would probably do some driving for dollars. Honestly, I would try to get the houses that I really, really wanted to mail to because I didn't want to waste any money. And I would drive for dollars, look at some houses that I really wanted to mail to. And we used the deal machine app. So that's an app okay. that we've used in our business. It's a, like an app for your phone. You can look at that house, take a picture of it or uh, send them a postcard right then and there. So I would start off there or go for the super highly motivated, which people that are severely delinquent on their taxes, if they don't pay their taxes, they're probably can't afford their house. So I would start off with that list or people that have a lot of fines with the city. So those are probably the top two things that we manually create that list. As far as the piece goes, I don't really know. I mean, we do something a little bit different. We used to be the guys next door. We're like, hey, I'm going to send you this yellow lined paper with red ink and, and just be like, I'm Joe down the street. Right, right. I want to buy your house. That's what we used to do. But now with the TV commercial, we do more of a branding thing because we're trying to brand ourselves a little bit more. So now we actually do like put our company on there and we're more of the, hey, we're the trusted company that you've gotcha. seen us on TV. And all these other guys, 
you can't trust. So let me ask you this, Brett. <laughs> right. And that's a key thing. And one of the things that people always ask me is, should you do branded versus unbranded mm-hmm. uh, mail and marketing? I'm a firm believer of always going branded because you can go branded with the piece, but you can always have that phone conversation and portray that, hey, I'm the guy next door, but at the same time, I'm very professional, very astute about real estate. So that's one thing, guys. So you can, when you're testing, you can test branded versus unbranded with your mail piece and things like that. So Britt, let me ask you. So you closed this first deal, six grand, and you was closing other deals. How much money were you deploying back into your business in order to get where you were going? So basically what I'm saying was, how did you scale from your one man band to these 12 employees? No, that's a great question. I was honestly the first many, many, many years of my business, I was deploying all of it. Uh, except for my minimal expenses, personal expenses, I was putting it all back into the business. And I bought some things here and there, but. So you, you wasn't know, going out buying the Ferraris and I the mean, Rolex not, watches and stuff not, like that? <laughs> not really. I mean, I was used to being a substitute school teacher. So, like, literally at that time, my, my expenses were like $2,000 a month. I mean, hardly anything. And uh, so I was used to, to doing that. So I did go through a phase where I did buy a big boat and a house and bigger house, things like that. Okay. Okay. But but honestly, the first few years, I I was really just kind of putting it back into the business as far as the, so when I did start scaling and hiring these people, I mean, I had some money to kind of fall back on. So if it didn't work, I could always, you know, I had some savings and things like that. But honestly, everything that I've done has been strategic. It's, I'm, I was a math school teacher, so I was always just really good at basic math. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I even used to gamble sometimes, which I won't get okay. into all that was a downhill spiral, but, <laughs> but I was always just trying to contemplate, okay, like if I put in a thousand dollars and I made $8,000 or, or less, that that's good. So I did the same thing with my money. Okay. Like if I have this amount of money and I put it in, what am I going to get back? What's my return? And I would track it. And I think that's the problem entrepreneurs don't do. People don't even know how much money they're making, but I was always one to keep track of whatever I did. So that was really, really good, really, really important for me. And I would do the same thing with my employees. So I would say, okay, if I pay this guy $50,000, number one, how much is he making the company is, and, and what is good? I would, mm-hmm. and if he makes the company a hundred thousand dollars, and he and I pay him fifty, so I just made fifty thousand dollars. That's that to me. That was good, especially if he's doing the work that I hate. So you have to track yourself too, where it's sometimes you got to measure not only the money but your time and your sanity too. There's those are three currencies. There's money, time, and sanity. Well, he made me more money. Plus, he saved me a lot more time. Plus, I was a lot more sane because I didn't even like doing what he was doing. So that's there's some things that honestly, if I paid someone $10 an hour and they only made me $10 an hour, but I got my time and my sanity back, I would that's a that's a win for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, so I started I mean, to track everything, I think is a big thing. Yeah, that's smart. And that's what a lot of people look at is they want to try and harbor and keep everything to themselves. And it can drive you crazy. It can drive you nuts. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I was like, 
in the beginning. I'm just going to do everything on my own. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it happen. And I'm just going to try and get all of this money in. But then I came to my senses. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> well, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do that. Let me hire these tasks out. And once I found, once I started hiring those tasks out, I started having that sanity and I can do other things in my business to help scale that business. So we talked about direct mail, the SEO piece and PPC piece to it. Are you doing that or you have that hired out to someone on your team? Yeah. So I'm a big, again, it goes back to that very simple business. And I'm always one that if I can hire it out and pay a company that knows what they're doing a lot more than I do, and I don't have to figure it out and they got a good system and I pay them a thousand dollar management fee in a month or something like that, it's always worth it to me. Like for me, when I talk about those three currencies right now at this point in my life, now, if you would have talked to me 13 years ago, it would have been a lot different. I had a lot more time and I didn't care if I worked 80 hours a week. So you got to look at your season of life. Like right now, my season of life is I have a wife, I have four kids. I love being with my family, all of that. So my time and sanity are a lot more important than money. So for me personally, I pay it out and I hire it out to companies that know what they're doing. But I know not everybody can do that. So you got to measure where you are at. If you're, if I was back in 07, single guy and had time and I didn't have much money, then I would have done it. So I think that answer your question, Mark, is just measure what season you're at. Do you have money or do you have time? Um, yep. So I think that this is what you got to measure. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Sounds great. So you went and you were doing all of these deals on your own and then you built the team. Kind of tell me about one of the most challenging deals that you had to try and close. I mean, I thought I saw that question and I was, that's really hard. I mean, I've had a lot of challenging deals and it's really, really difficult to kind of answer. I think that this isn't really one of the most challenging deals. This probably goes in to probably the best deal, at least the most profitable. I, I wouldn't okay. even say the most, the best deal is most profitable, but I had this one deal, this um, guy brought me this deal and this wasn't even a normal deal that I did. This was a piece of land down in Southern Indiana. This was about four or five years ago. And it was uh, about three, two or 300, maybe 200 acres of land down there. And this was a very expensive property. I had no idea kind of how we were going to do this. This was kind of outside of our wheelhouse, which I don't highly recommend, but we were, buying this for five, $600,000. I don't remember the exact number, but anyways, I didn't really know how we were going to buy this because it was a lot more expensive than our normal deal. And I really had to find a buyer for it. And right away, let's sign the contract or do a double close. So that's what we did. And we found this buyer for it. And I just remember when I can probably relate to, to a lot of your guys, it is so nerve wracking when you're trying to put all the pieces together, especially on this big deal, uh, I think we end up making over $96,000, little, little under $100,000 on this one wholesale deal. So it wasn't the most challenging deal, but the nerves that you, you have just thinking, leading up to that closing on like, I hope, I pray that this works out because I don't know. And I just remember that deal just because it was the most profitable 
And it was one of the most nerve wracking deals because I didn't have a lot of control. I didn't know the buyer. This wasn't really my typical deal. A lot of money on the table. I didn't Mm want to be embarrassed. All those feelings kind of were in play. (laughs) So what made you decide to do that deal, especially with it not being in your wheelhouse? I'm a little bit more conservative. I'm just going to be honest. And I'm trying to break out of that being so conservative and being a little bit more aggressive on some of these deal structures and things like that. But on a land deal, Southern Indiana, how did you run the numbers if this wasn't in your wheelhouse? Did you bring somebody in to help you with the deal? Kind of what did that look like? Yeah, I definitely asked some other people, but I actually used to be live in Southern Indiana. And one of my first things, so I was working that very first real estate deal, I was working with a land company down there. And at that time I was a bird dog for this land company. I would help them find deals. So I already kind of knew how to do land. So it wasn't like brand new to me. I hadn't done it in a long time because I had been doing residential real estate. So it had been five or six years, which again, the market changes even with land, but at least I knew uh, a little bit about land. And I, this company that I worked with was a timber company. So I also, Southern Indiana is a huge place for timber and uh, a lot of timber companies down there. So I knew that the buyers for this particular land could be a timber company, which it was. And that's kind of how I knew in the back of my mind. And again, like before I really went too deep, I was, I mean, right when we got that deal, I was calling up these timber companies. Mm -hmm. I looked up all the timber companies. I was calling up left and right, just seeing if it was a deal. And if they would have said no, then I probably, I would have had to back out. Gotcha. Yes. So were you, were you, so did you get, put that deal under contract and then started contacting the timber companies or you just said, Hey, look, this is what I'm working on. Would you guys be interested? How did that conversation go? Cause I'm trying to figure it I out. Did, man. Yeah. I did take the risk. <laughs> I did take the risk. I put it under contract. And then that like very next day I was going back because I didn't have a buyer's list for, for land like this. All my right. buyers are buying residential houses. So, so I just kind of went back to the old days of like, okay, how do you build your buyer's list? And I knew that this was a good property because it had timber on it. And I just looked up all the timber companies within an hour away. And we just started cold calling them and saying, Hey, got this land. And then they went out and checked it out. So I did get under contract first. Yes. Okay. All right. Sweet, sweet. So, I mean, non-traditional, you were always doing residential rentals. I mean, residential uh, real estate. And then you found, came across this land deal. How was that through PPC or how did that, how did that lead come across your desk? I actually, it came from a referral of a, of a, a friend that was doing some land and many knew I lived in Indiana. And so it actually came from, I think he did it through, through direct mail. So he was doing some direct mail land, but honestly, like the thing is, and that's the thing about branding too, Marcus, is we were developing a great brand. So like right now I do get deals just kind of come to me just by, just by being around, just by having experience, just by branding ourselves as a trusted company, people will send me these types of deals all the time. So I think that's one of the benefit of branding yep. yourself, of putting yourself out there, of doing podcasts with Marcus here. That That's part of it. And I think the yep. reason why I do these sorts of things and put out content like this is, is because it makes the business a lot easier. And, and I really, really enjoy it. So, but it does. So that one did come from a referral and I think he got it through direct mail. 
Okay. And, and basically what you're saying, and even in the branding, but it's, it's the networking and the relationship building. You wouldn't have even had an opportunity to do anything with that deal that made you $96,000 if it wasn't for your network and you being able to be in contact with this person. So guys, I, I'm a firm believer, get out there, network, meet people. I know it's a little bit more difficult here now during these days, but there's social media. You got to get out there, be on social media for the right things, not just for what happened on Desperate Housewives or <laughs> whatever, some other crap get out there and, and do it for the right reasons so we're going to take a brief break brent we're going to come back we'll hear a word from our sponsors and when we come back we'll roll into uh some creative financing and things like that that you're doing with your team in order to secure deals because you're doing 300 deals a year and that's massive so we'll be right back with brent snotgrass based out of uh indianapolis indiana finding real estate deals can be a challenge but with Batch Leads, it doesn't have to be. Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals, and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead-generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps, and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage, and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to batchlead.io and use promo code WELOVEEQUITY. All right, Brett, we are back. And guys, if you're just joining us, we're with Brett Snotgrass. And Brett is a wholesaler, real estate investor, creative finance guy that's doing things in the Midwest. So Brett, tell me, how did you pivot and position yourself into creative financing? Because that's, that's a little bit of a different vehicle and monster compared to traditional wholesale, try and get a low ball offer accepted and then pitch it out there to your buyer's list? Yeah. Well, it actually happened again, kind of organically. And I think the longer you're in this business, it things just start to happen and the light bulb goes off and you're going to have that happen a lot through the years of being in this business. So honestly, what happened, we ended up buying some deals and, and we wanted to wholesale them. So we yep. wanted to clean them out, wholesale them. For those that don't know, Brett, what, what's wholesale? Uh, wholesale is basically you do buy the property. So you don't assign the contract. You don't do the double close. You actually do buy the property. And then you go in and do some small things to the property. You clean out all the personal belongings. Maybe you fix it up a little bit, but not total rehab. Maybe you put in $2,000 to you know $4,000, something like that. And then you list on the MLS or you send out to your buyer's list, but... But I do like the wholesaling because you do have control of the property, uh, you own the property, but the risk is you own the property. And yeah. if it goes bad, then you're in, you could get in hot water. Yep. So that's kind of where we were at, honestly. So we had a couple of properties like that and uh, we couldn't sell the properties. I guess maybe we overpaid for them. I'm not really sure. So, so we just put out there like, well, 
um, maybe we could finance these if someone was interested in that. So I honestly put out there, if you have 50% down, so like I didn't want to take a lot of risk, honestly. Yep. And these weren't super expensive properties. These were like $50,000, $60,000 properties. So I said, if you have 50% down, we'll finance it, uh, the other 50%. And we had, a, we had a buyer come through and he did it. So we like $50,000 property, put $25,000 down. We financed 25,000 at like 10% to 12% interest. And, and it worked. And I was like, wow, what just happened? Yeah, how can we so that more? happened. And then it just, again, organically, it just started happening. It wasn't our main strategy, but we started to sell properties and just kind of put it out there and buyers started to buy properties like that. Well, again, just like back my very first deal, one deal turned into five to 10. And I think at the beginning of 2020, we had a hundred, a hundred seller financing notes that we owned that people were paying us on. So that, that was crazy. And, and that's the other thing about wholesaling is it's a, it's a transactional business. So people would always ask me, well, what's next? And what, what are you going to do next year, next month? And I would always have to start over. I'd always have to start at zero, do more transactions, more transactions, because I had to feed the team, I had to feed everybody. Yep. And this was a way to to retire, honestly, not to retire, but just to get more out of the business where, like I said, what if this ever doesn't work anymore? I got a hundred notes over here that I'm making. I think we got 40, 50 grand coming in in the first of each month. Yeah, that's good. And it's crazy. Yeah. And I'm just like, and I didn't even, and I did this is something I did four years ago. So, so I think it's a great model. It's a great strategy. Why I like it is it's no headaches. It, unlike tenants, they don't call you at all. You are literally the bank. So, right. You, they put a down payment down, you charge them interest and you're, you're Chase Bank. That, that's just all I am. I'm just a lien holder on the property. If the toilet breaks, they don't call me. So just put apples to apples. I don't have a lot of rentals. I got about 15 rentals over here. Okay. And then I got these hundred seller financing notes. Compare the sanity when it comes to a hundred notes versus 15 rentals. There's no comparison on the headaches with 15 rentals versus the hundred notes. So yeah, that's just like before we got on, I got a call from our plumber and saying, <laughs> Hey, I think the furnace is going to be I don't get going that. out. <laughs> If they call me on that, I'm like, well, fix it. Figure, figure it out. out. Yeah. So what do so. you do? So did you go into this with the creative financing, like on some of your wholesale deals saying, how can we position this? Because the seller won't accept our low ball offer. Let's pitch them subject to deal mm -hmm. or anything like that. Or did you guys just buy them and then just did the creative financing for the buyer on the back end? Yeah, we did. Uh, we do both, honestly. So we started off just kind of buying them and seller financing the owner on the back end. But then I started learning about it. It's one of those things like I jump in and I start doing some things. And then I'm like, well, I don't know what we're doing here, but let's let's study even what, what we're doing. So I started studying. I actually had a guy named Eddie Speed on my, on my podcast too. And uh, he's a big note guy. I've been doing it for 40 years. So I studied what he was doing. He runs an education platform called Note School that... I've studied what they're doing and, and he started to, to talk about, Hey, like, how do you position yourself with the seller to, to, they don't want your lowball offer, but they want their money, but how can you kind of, you know, position it where 
okay, well, how much money do you want? Can I buy it on terms? And we right. started to do that a little bit. We don't do it a lot, but, but we did some properties subject to, and these are people most of the time that are going to lose their home to foreclosure. So we say, well, instead of losing it to foreclosure, why don't we just buy it and we'll buy the property subject to, and we'll make your mortgage payments. Well, people would say, why would anybody ever do that? Well, they got that option or they, or they get foreclosed on. And so we bought some properties that way. So there's a couple of our notes that we're paying the, the subject to mortgage. And then we do a wrap and then we sell or finance the buyer. So like we're paying 4% interest over here and we're getting 10% over here. So we make that. Okay. Um, so just doing creative deals like that for, for us. And again, it's that residual income where, if next month, if, if our business just didn't want to do anything at all and I wanted to take a month off, we still have a lot of money coming in. But that's been years in the making. We've been kind of positioning ourselves for years. But I would say if you're a wholesaler out there, start to think about like, how are you going to build wealth, honestly? Because there's going to be a day where you're going to say, you know what, like, I don't know if I want to do this every month. Yep. And that day, this is a great strategy if, if when, when you ask yourself that. Yeah, because wholesaling is definitely transactional. And that's one of the things most people get into real estate because they want passive income. They want to come off their job and they want to be able to live comfortably without working tremendously hard. And one of the misconceptions is, well, get into wholesaling. Well, when you're in wholesaling, you have to work tremendously hard, especially in the beginning. I mean, you have to do your, do your marketing. You have to contact sellers, go and visit sellers, driving for dollars, tons of things. So yeah, you can come off that job and you can get a job wholesaling, which pays very well, but then you're not actually solving that problem of being a passive investor, which yeah. you figured that out through notes. Someone else like myself, I figured it out through rental properties. Someone else may do it through syndications, things like that. So guys, there's definitely different avenues in order to go down that road. So you're doing all of this, Brett, and we're going to wrap up here pretty quickly. You're doing all of this. What is some of the things or some words of encouragement that you can give somebody that's just getting started that's in that position of a substitute teacher or work at McDonald's or something like that? What should they do in order to get started in real estate? Yeah. I mean, number one, I would always just, I'm, I'm even a big proponent of this is just, if you have some peers, just start to get around your peers that are doing this. Maybe it's not the super successful guys, but guys that are, that are really doing it. And I even do that today. I'm in a couple of mastermind groups and just to get around your peers. So, so you don't lose the, the motivation. You need to be around a group that is inspiring, that, that is doing it, that, that can help you know, push you along to help motivate you. So I would highly recommend just whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's a mastermind group. Maybe it's just a small group of investors in your market. I don't really know, but get around some peers that are doing it. And then I've always had some sort of coach or mentor. That was a huge game changer for me. Someone guiding me along and, and asking some of these questions about business, about real estate. I don't really know what that looks like. Maybe you have to pay for a coach. Maybe there's a retired person that that they won't just want to help people. 
I don't know, but that's, that's a big thing. And I actually was talking to one of my relatives called me up. She's getting ready to start a business and, and she was asking me all these questions about getting started and all this. And, uh, and this is just going to get super overwhelming, honestly. I mean, if you look at the last 13 years, like how much stuff and brain damage I've done, it's yep. just, it can be super overwhelming and it's a marathon. It's a huge journey. It's a big marathon. You're not going to get do 300 deals when you're, when you're doing one a month right now. So, so I would just say, just focus on the next mile. If you run that big marathon, just, Hey, just focus on that next, that next mile. Don't worry about the 26th mile. Just, just do this mile and just do it well and just put one foot in front of the other. And that really kind of minimizes the overwhelmingness of it. Just kind of focus on that next step. Well said, well said. And, and Brent, you are an example of what someone can be and what they can do starting with that one deal. And now 13 years later, you're doing 300 plus deals a year. So guys don't think, like you said, don't think it's going to happen overnight. You've been doing it for 13 years. I've been doing it for nine years. Don't fall for the pitch of getting it and it's going to happen overnight. Some people, they get in it and it happens overnight. But I know one thing that you said earlier in the show was it took you how many months to get that first deal? Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I was thinking about all this for, yeah, six, six, seven, eight months yep. just to kind of thinking about it, looking. And I even backed out of a, of a, of a deal. I was going to another eBay deal. I was driving up and uh, this was in Michigan. I don't, I don't know why I picked these weird <laughs> places, but driving up and I had this deal and I looked at it and I just, I felt super uncomfortable about it. So it took a couple of failures before I did, did do that $6,000 deal. See, and there you go. And and people, you if you hit that roadblock and you have that failure, again, remember, you just got to be tenacious and you got to keep going. So, Brett, let's roll into our hot seat questions. We're going to put Brett on the hot seat. So, starting over, what would you do differently? I think I would have hired and scaled earlier, honestly. There was... I did a lot of the business with my dad and he was a teacher and he, we did the business for about five or six years kind of together. And then he stepped more in the retirement and that's when I started building the team. But I wish that I would have scaled earlier and, and started hiring and not had that fear. I did a lot of just, just stuff that I really didn't want to do. I didn't enjoy doing. And I wish that I would have started thinking of it like a business and uh, someone would have came alongside me and said, Brett, like, why, why are you doing that? You could, you could hire this guy over here to do that. And he really needs that job. And yeah. you could really focus on something else that you're really good at. So I think that I would have done that and not had the brain damage of six or seven years, just doing everything on my own because it's a big, it's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, been there, been there, done that. Just, I'm going to do it all on my own. <laughs> So, hey, guilty, guilty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what do you believe is one characteristic? And I know that there's many, but, but coming from Brett's perspective, what is one characteristic that you absolutely have to have in order to be a high producing investor? Well, this is a characteristic that, that I really admire, honestly. I don't think it's one that you have to have. 
the one characteristic that I highly admire is, is humbleness. Honestly, when I, when I see a CEO or a business owner that has the humbleness, that's, that's just admirable to me, honestly. And I think that, so this year has been really interesting or 2020 was really interesting for me. Like I actually stepped out of the wholesaling business and I have a CEO now. So like, honestly, okay. I don't work hardly at all in, in, in the business, but that took a lot of humbleness, honestly, for me to do that. And so when you start to scale your team and you start to let go and you start to let other people run your baby that you, yep. that you have been raising for all these years. And this year, 2020, well, last year, I guess I really had to just let go. And that took, I wasn't, the, I'm not the face of the company anymore. I'm not making any of the decisions, even the vision and the core values have sort of changed to the people running the company now. So I think humbleness is a huge quality that if you really want to, to lead and, and to, and have the freedom, you got to be humble because yeah, yep. it's just interesting. So. Okay. Okay. Just a sidebar question. How did you find that CEO? Was it someone that rose up through the ranks? It was. Yeah. Okay. So, so 2017, I met a gentleman and he was a friend of mine named Brian and, and he was a teacher, honestly. And he'll say he's making about $40,000 a year. So he was a teacher for 14 years and we were friends and he wanted to get out of teaching. I knew he had good leadership qualities. So I hired him in the company and then it just kind of organically happened over the last three years. So he he was kind of our marketing manager for a while, and then he became our dispositions manager. He would sell all of our properties for us, and then he became COO, which okay. really run the operations. And I was his, I was the visionary CEO running the vision. And then this year or last year, twenty twenty, I just I had had enough of that, and I just wanted my freedom. And so I just said, Hey, you want to be CEO and run everything? And he said yes. Okay, perfect, perfect. What is uh, one good book, book recommendation that you have for us? I'll give I'll give two good book recommendations if that's okay, Marcus. Sure. Number one, like one book that really really changed my life was way back in the day, and it was called The Millionaire Next Door. And this this is a book that it's really not about real estate, but it's about money, and it's really studying millionaires and. At that time, I was a substitute school teacher and I was driving a really nice car I could that I couldn't afford. And I really wanted just to look, I wanted to look wealthy. I wanted to look rich, even though I was I was really just dead broke. And the book talks a lot about that, about people that are really driving the super fancy cars and 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 they really aren't rich at all. They're actually just in a lot of debt yep. and they want to look rich. And the real millionaires, I mean, this isn't, I'm not talking about celebrities and, and the super flashiness right, over here. Right. I'm talking about just the normal millionaires. You wouldn't have ever known that they were because they just live next door to you in their $200,000 house and they drive their used Ford and you just would never know they're a millionaire. So that really changed my perspective on it about being frugal. And that's why I didn't go out and buy the, the fancy Ferrari is yep. because that book really changed me. And I don't think... I would be where I am today if I didn't if I didn't read that book and do that. That's one book, The Millionaire Next Door. Okay. The second book 
And this is for the men out there. This is a book that really changed my life last year. And this isn't even a real estate book either, but it's about purpose and it's about identity. And it's a book called The True Measure of a Man. Mm. It's by a gentleman named Richard E. Simmons and really just shook me to the core about, about my identity. And, and that really kind of positioned me this year where I had to let go of some of that because the reason I didn't want to let go was because I was so sucked into the identity of everything. Great book, True Measure of a Man. Okay. All right. So in parting, Brett, how can we find you? How can we get connected to you? Someone hears this podcast and they say, what, this quick 35 minutes, hour podcast kind of sparked something in me, changed something. And I want to be connected to Brett. How can we be connected to you? How can we find you? Yeah. No, thanks, Marcus. Thanks so much for having me on the show, man. It's just an oh, yeah, awesome man. pleasure. To have you. Appreciate you. It's uh, It's been awesome here. So the best place for me to, to reach me right now is to check out our YouTube channel. So we just launched okay. a YouTube channel just called the Brett Snodgrass channel. So just remember my name. It's hard. It's easy to remember Snodgrass. So Brett Snodgrass channel. We have a podcast too that I interview. Love to have you on it, Marcus, too. It's just it's just the Brett Snodgrass podcast. So so check out the Brett Snodgrass channel on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment. And you can reach out to me there, and uh, and also check out our Brett Snodgrass podcast. And you can email me to at Brett B R E T T at simplewholesaling.com if you want to check that out as well. Okay, well, guys, I'll make sure I have all of that in the show notes, including uh, the Deal Machine app and Eddie Speed's uh, Note School. So, Brett, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. So, guys, you heard the words from Brett. What to do. You need to get out there and you can start from that first deal and scale to 300 deals just like Brett did. If Brett could do it, you can do it. He started in the Midwest, actually started with his first deal was a virtual deal before virtual wholesaling was even a thing. So, <laughs> Take the words that Brett has said and make them applicable in your life and get out there and make some things happen. And remember to always enjoy the journey. All right, guys, that was Brett Snodgrass from Indianapolis, Indiana. He started with virtual wholesaling in a few markets in the Midwest, and now he's specifically and solely in the Indianapolis market and doing about 300 deals in that one market. Can you imagine that? on one market doing 300 deals. So make sure you reach out to Brett. You got, got all of the information that you needed from him. Reach out to him if you have any questions or anything like that. Also, feel free, reach out to me. We are doing consultation hours now. You can go to the link below and see what we offer as far as consultation hours. We're working with people in Canada, people in New Mexico, St. Louis, Indianapolis, matter of fact. So we will be doing an online course coming up also. So we'll make that affordable for you guys that don't want to do the personal one-on-one -on -one sessions. We limit these personal one-on-one -on -one sessions very, very, it's very, very limited. And the reason being is because we're still actually out here doing deals. We're not a coaching or an educational uh, company. We are a real estate and marketing company. So I take 
small times out of my day to coach some people one-on-one and then we'll be doing some group coaching we will roll that out in 2021 we'll let you guys know about all of that but if you have the opportunity make sure you go to the uh, consultation link below and you can get all of that information and remember guys the opportunity is out there for you it's definitely out there for you i want you to get out there I want you to do some things, network, make things happen. Get on your social media profiles. Let everybody know exactly what you're doing. So this is Marcus Maloney. I'm signing off, guys. Remember to always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items, and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.